0: Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rada. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance or MI in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with
1: ArchMI. If you have not listened to the first episode of this season, which is season four, I do encourage you to do that before continuing with this one. In that episode, I kind of set the context and provide some background information that I'm not going to be sharing in any of the other episodes. And of course, you know, you can certainly decide to ignore that suggestion and just continue on. But the theme this uh, season is really about reviving realtor relationships, and I'm using some survey data from a report that is done annually by the national association of realtors called profile of home buyers and sellers i'm using that as the basis for a lot of what i'm sharing this season as well as my own experiences in the wacky world of buying and selling and moving which i've done a lot of over the last few years and also becoming a uh, licensed real estate broker over the last year or so um, not because I want to actually do that, at least at this point in my career, but because I really wanted to learn what that world was all about. And I think the more we know about our customers, right? The more we know about the people we're trying to serve, the better we can figure out how to bring value to that relationship. So today, what I'd like to focus on from that survey is today's home buyers. That's what that's what how they're kind of designated in the in the report, today's home buyers. Um, I'll start with some demographic information. I've shared some demographic information in a previous episode, but this will be different. And again, don't get hung up on the percentages and do they add up to 100%. Um, Some people choose not to fill out every question on a survey. Some people choose the choice that says, I'd prefer not to say that or answer that question. Um, I will do my best knowing that you're multitasking while you're listening to these to not bombard you with a lot of numbers. Um, and to kind of round things and and just really talk more about perspective and and what do these numbers mean, but if we look at something like uh, race, for instance, eighty-two uh, percent of the people that buy homes today uh, indicate that they're white. So let's just say roughly eighty percent, and then the other twenty percent is pretty evenly distributed between Hispanic, Asian, and Black buyers. So twenty percent of home buyers are white. And then the other 20 or excuse me, 80 percent of home buyers are white and the other 20 percent are pretty evenly split between Hispanic, Asian and black buyers. Now, again, in your market, that could be very different. So one of the things you may want to do is is figure out what are those demographics in your area. But I think it's good to know what the the racial and ethnic mix is, uh, because there's probably opportunities, right? There's probably opportunities to reach out to communities that perhaps, you know, you have not had any outreach with before. A um, couple of other statistics that might be noteworthy. Uh, roughly 90% of home buyers uh, indicate that they're heterosexual. Uh, about 5% will indicate that they're gay or lesbian. And a couple of percent would be bisexual. Now, I'm not mentioning this for any reason other than to say same-sex couples are a demographic that Kind of like single females, who I talked a lot about in the last episode, um, same-sex se- same couples, while they're not a huge percentage of the business that is available out there for realtors or lenders, they're a group that's probably not getting much attention. In other words, I don't see a lot of lenders or realtors who are specifically reaching out to that demographic, who are trying to you know identify what some of their unique needs or wants or values might be and position themselves as someone who can help them. And just like a a minority group, and I really hate to use that word minority, but I just use it because it's such common language that we can all relate to. When people hear minority, they just they kind of know what that means, even though in some places the people who we would call minorities are actually not the minority population. Um, But for instance, you know, Hispanics, um, Asian, black people in many areas, they're underserved. Right. They're not even though they represent a particular portion of the population, they may not have that same representation when it comes to homeownership. And so same thing with sexual orientation or uh, the the family composition, right? How a family is is put together. I, I think there are opportunities there to connect with a group of folks that are typically, you know, not paid much attention to. But demographics aside and you always hear a lot about demographics in our business i want you to become familiar with another word which i call psychographic and that's not something i made up but you may not have heard of that before so let me highlight the difference between a demographic and a psychographic a demographic would be how the world sees you so it's kind of easily identifiable right something like gender or race or age. And I'm not saying you can always exactly pinpoint, you know, what those things are in a person, but they're they're apparent from the outside, right? They're they're kind of an easy way to put someone into a bucket. That would be a demographic. How how you're kind of looked at from the outside. A psychographic is not how the world sees you. It's how you see the world. It's how you relate with and work with the world right so it's more of a it's more of a feeling it's more of a value it's more of a, a bias so i'll give you an example when when home buyers are asked what's the most difficult thing about buying a home and i don't know in this survey if they're given lots of choices or if they just have to freeform, you know come up with what is the most difficult thing about buying a home But what people have said is the most difficult thing about buying a home right now is finding the right home. Now, finding the right home has everything to do with a person's psychographic. In other words, what is it that's important to that person? Is it about, you know, the most important thing is the school district that their children will be placed in? is the most important thing that they want to be closer to aging relatives is the most important thing that they need to be by transportation like public transportation that gets them to work if they still you know don't work from home what i'm suggesting is that we need to find this out in other words the psychographic of a person is far more important and useful information than their demographic the demographics are useful in just knowing if your market is representative of of kind of the average and if there are areas for opportunities you know groups that are that are not being served so to speak but psychographics is where you can really figure out what's important to someone and then position yourself as someone that can fulfill that need or someone that can solve that problem i mean i would certainly ask this of any realtor in other words we just answered the question what do buyers find is the most difficult thing about buying a home and they said it was finding the right home? Well, why don't we just ask every realtor who we're trying to build a relationship with, what's the most important thing you look for in a mortgage lender? Or what's the most challenging thing that you, that you feel, um, you know prevents you from wanting to work with a mortgage lender? In other words, what are, the, what are the things that you find the most difficult about working with a loan officer? Or what are the key things that you look for in a loan officer? In other words, shouldn't we be finding out what's most important to them? Because that's going to be very personal. And if we don't actually find ways to get that information, there's no way that you can position yourself as someone who can solve their problems and bring value to them if you don't even really know what's most important. I'll share with you from my own perspective, having gone through multiple real estate transactions over the last couple of years, when we bought a second home, which was in a completely different part of the country than we lived in. We did our own homework to figure out kind of exactly the community and the area that we wanted the second home to be in. And then I went about trying to find out, since I didn't live there and didn't know anybody there, who specializes in that area. And I had to rely on what I found online, which is another reason why, love it or hate it, we need to have an online presence, right? We need to have information that people can readily find online that speaks to those things that might be important to them. So I did my research online and identified somebody that at least was positioning themselves. Again, I didn't know them, but at least they were positioning themselves as being the expert in literally this particular community, which is where we wanted to buy our second home. And so that's who we worked with. When I sold, when we sold the home that we had been in for 25 years and, um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I lived in the same home for 25 years. I haven't been talking to realtors for, for a long time. I wanted the realtor who was the most successful in our marketplace. The realtor that did the most business in our marketplace because I I wanted to work with who was on top. Now that may not be another home seller's preference. But you see how if you don't find this out, right? You can't position yourself as someone as being like the best resource for someone if you don't know what's most important. Um when when we uh sold another property so so we you know as i said in the previous episode we've moved around a lot in the last couple of years so when we sold the home that we'd been in for 25 years i wanted the person who was the the top realtor in the area to list our home a few years later we found ourselves moving again even though that second place that we'd lived in was not that far away from the first i did not go back to that realtor that i used the first time because i did not perceive them to be the best realtor now in the area that i lived in other words i'd moved I'm in a different place, and there's probably a different realtor that's the best in that area. So my psychographic in selling homes has always been work with the realtor who is the top realtor in this area. Now, there could be some downsides to that, like they're super, super busy, or they only work in certain price ranges predominantly, and you're not really in that price range. right? Just because they're the number one realtor doesn't mean that they're a perfect fit. But at least for me, in my own experience, that kind of search has has proven to be pretty good. It seems to have worked out for me. Okay, what's another kind of thing that's going on with buyers these days, according to the to the survey data? Twenty nine percent. So let's just say thirty percent of the people buying homes today um, have paid more than the asking price. Now that was certainly the case when my wife and I bought our last home, which was uh, in the spring of twenty twenty one probably the peak month of 2021 in terms of the real estate market and where we are located. Of course we didn't know it was the peak at the time. You never do, right? When you're when you're in something that's hot, whether it be a stock market or a real estate market and you decide to go in and buy, you never know whether you're buying at the peak or not, but we probably bought at the absolute peak at least of our neighborhood um which is, you know, that's okay. It's a choice that we made. Probably more more than even that 30% are paying more than the asking price today. But um, this survey data is from July of 2020 through June of 2021. So it doesn't really cover you know a, a calendar year. It covers more of a fiscal year. Um, but what are the implications of people paying more than the asking price? Well, what about appraisals? I mean, what about properties appraising out? This is probably a challenge that you're intimately familiar with. So if you have options for people, if you have a way to work with buyers who have kind of paid more for a property than it's worth, would you not want to be shouting that from the mountaintop to the real estate community? Because realtors are going to perceive that if people are paying too much for properties, that they're not going to be able to get the mortgage, that the deals are ultimately not going to close. But if you have found ways to navigate that successfully and you have found ways to keep loans together, even though people have paid more for homes than they might actually be appraised for, you're gonna wanna make sure realtors know that you've got those options, that you can kind of keep those transactions alive, so to speak. Another interesting thing that came up on the survey was the amount of time that people will stay in their homes. So let's just kind of go back in time a little bit. Historically, people have only stayed in their homes about six or seven years. I was actually surprised by that data. I'd always thought that that was about the amount of, amount of time that somebody might have a mortgage because within that amount of time, they're gonna refinance, right, when rates change or they're gonna you know, convert their adjustable rate mortgage to a fixed rate mortgage or or have to pay off their balloon mortgage by refinancing. But no, according to the data, people historically have only lived in their homes about six or seven years. Now then the great recession came about. And if you're not exactly clear on when was the great recession, um according to the internet where all things are true, it was December of 07 to June of 09. So December of 07 to June of 09. Um roughly 2008, right? 2008 was was when things were really falling apart. Um That created a longer amount of time that people stayed in their homes. So you went from that historical average of six to seven years and it jumped up to nine or 10 years, which is, you know, percentage-wise, that's a pretty big jump. People staying in their homes longer. And it makes sense, right? You couldn't sell your home. uh, You couldn't sell it for what it was worth, you know, two years ago. And you'd probably lost your job in the meantime, right? So there was a lot of stuff going on that made it difficult for people to sell homes. So now... It's about eight years. So it's come down from the Great Recession. Um, It's much closer to what the historical average is. And what's interesting, though, uh, part of the survey asked people, well, how long do you think you'll stay in your home? And people said 12 years. Well, that's like 50 percent more than the amount of time they're actually staying And again, I don't want to read too much into numbers because you don't know exactly why they are what they are. But if people say they're going to live in their home for 12 years, but the reality is they only stay there for eight. That means, first of all, they're not very good at predicting what their future needs will be. And again, as a lender, maybe this should influence, you know, your products and the types of things that you recommend to borrowers. And the conversations you have around, what is the best loan program for you? What is the best product for you? If we know that people historically are only going to be in their homes roughly eight years, does that change the type of loan program that might be best suited for them? Okay, what else? Um, How about uh, the down payment source? I thought this was kind of interesting. So for first-time homebuyers, about 60% of the time, they rely on savings. About 30% of the time, so half as much, they rely on a gift or loan from family or friends. Now, I thought the phrasing of that was very interesting on the survey. Now, this is a survey done by realtors, right, to buyers and sellers. So, the survey is actually asking them about their source of down payment, and 30% of them chose the category gift or loan from family and friends. And I just thought that was curious because as you know, as a lender, uh, the whole loan thing is probably not actually acceptable. And even gifts have to be from you know certain people, right? It just can't be from anybody. Um, so it's kind of an admission that maybe all of these things that we call gifts are perhaps not always gifts. But again, first time home buyers, about uh, two thirds of them roughly use their savings and about one third of them have to have some outside help. Would this be important to teach realtors? Absolutely. Would it be important that realtors understand what are the options that people have if they don't have enough money on their own and they have to either borrow it or get a gift or, you know, what are the guidelines? What are the parameters? What are the rules around all of that? Because your average borrower is not going to know that. But if the realtors are educated, then they can counsel the buyers on what is acceptable and unacceptable. And then hopefully we don't have a problem when they apply for their mortgage. Repeat buyers, right? So people who already have a home to sell, of course, over half of them simply use the proceeds from their sale. Uh, that's where they come up with the money that they need for the new purchase, and that makes total sense, right? Um, but I did it did make me wonder, what about the almost half that didn't say sales proceeds? Like, like where, where did they come up with their money? And I guess it's probably the same thing. Maybe some additional savings that they've had, or maybe some of them needed gifts and help as well. Okay, so again, I've kind of thrown a lot at you here and not a lot of time. Um, Again, I'm I'm letting you come up with your own conclusions here. I'm trying to give you a few suggestions and insights that I'm having from this data. But of course, you know, you're free to feel about all this as you choose. Uh, Just a couple of things that I'll remind you of. Remember the difference between demographics and psychographics. It's not just about the box that we put people in, although that can be helpful in identifying some opportunities, especially for underserved um, groups of people. Um, But psychographics is, is what's important to them. It's how they see the world. It's answering the questions like, You know, what does a realtor think is the most important thing in having a a lender relationship or a relationship with a loan officer? You know, what what is the most important thing that they're looking for as opposed to I'm just a lender and a loan officer like dozens of others? Um, Also, the fact that so many people now are paying over the asking price for a home can certainly create some challenges with appraisals. I know that's nothing new. I'm sure you're intimately familiar with that, but if you've got ways to work with people, when that happens, where you can keep loans together that otherwise would fall apart, you definitely want to make sure that realtors in your area know what your solutions are and how you can keep those transactions from happening, because the one thing I'm now hearing from my fellow realtors Kind of sounds strange to say that, being a very, very, very part-time realtor. Um, the one thing that I'm hearing them say is that they've never seen so many transactions fall apart. In other words, it's really, really busy and, and, and active out there, and there's lots of home buying and selling taking place, but there's, and it's not just because of the loan, it's also because of things like inspections and people getting cold feet, and there's lots of reasons, right? But they've never seen so many transactions that, you know, they, they start, And people sign all the paperwork and they move forward, but they don't end up actually closing. And so they're looking for solutions. They're looking for ways that they can keep transactions together. So if you have those solutions, if you have the ability to help people through some of these challenges that we have in this kind of interesting market that we're in, you want to make sure realtors know what those are. And then the whole idea of tenure and how long people are going to stay in their home. If it's really not as long as we think, or it's really not even as long as they think. Maybe that changes the product conversation. Maybe that changes what kind of products would really be best suited for them if we know that they're if they're average, they're only going to be in the home for eight years. Okay, so that is it for this episode. And as always, I know you've got a lot of ways and a lot of choices that you can spend your time, and I truly appreciate that you've spent some of it with me. This is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Until next time, let's revive some realtor relationships.
0: Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. Mortgage Insurance Operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit archmi.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.